Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sweat the Technique, a podcast all about how to get better, faster. I'm Ravi Gupta, and today I'm having a conversation with my co-host, Stacey Shells Harvey, who is the CEO and founder of Regeneration Schools, which runs some amazing public charter schools in the state of Ohio and Illinois. She is a longtime educator. Don't ask her how long. <laughs> and a good friend of mine, and you probably know her from many of the episodes here at Sweat the Technique, some of our most popular episodes. Stacy, welcome to your own podcast. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here and I finally get a chance to talk to you. Well, okay. Congratulations on the start of a new school year. How far are we into your school years in your two states? You're in Cincinnati and, and Chicago for our listeners. Yeah. Well, we're in Cincinnati. We're into week three in Chicago. We're in to week two. We also have induction. I don't completely count those because those are just half days. And that's also a part of training that we do. But we are full swing ahead right now into full days all day and getting the learning started. Wow. Okay. So the topic we're going to have today is all about summer teacher training camp and then the follow-up from that. And so I'd written this piece for Imbroglio, which we'll link in the show notes, just all about how like summer teacher training camp is shrinking. And I wrote about like the different choices that we made. And, and as background, I did this uh, fellowship called the Building Excellence Schools Fellowship, which I know, Stacey, you know what it is, but for our listeners, you spend a year kind of traveling the country and seeing what other schools did. And as part of that, I got to see teacher training. And I also had access to the agendas of all these teacher training camps that have existed. When you started as a teacher and then when you became a principal, walk me through some of the iterations of summer teacher training or lack thereof that you've seen. Okay, so when I started as a teacher, I was 1999, Baltimore, Teach for America. And we were there for two days beforehand. And I can't tell you right now what we covered, but it wasn't what we were going to teach. And I remember the day before school sitting there with this box of curriculum and going through it and all the components weren't there. It was my first time even seeing the curriculum. I had no idea what the schedule was going to look like. I had no idea how I was supposed to start my day. I think that like the training was on like how to write a memoir because that's what everyone writes, right? Memoirs. So that was the training at the time. And when I was in New York City Public, it was the exact same thing. And that was probably 2001. Is actually, I was a teacher in September 11th, actually. So, you know, RIP today. Yeah. And for our listeners, we're recording this on September 11th. Yeah. Yes. So I was in the South Bronx and I remember coming to teacher training and them asking me, what did I want to teach? And I said, Jim at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was young and I was like, oh, I get to decide. I'm going to teach Jim, bet, right? I have like sweatpants Which, every day. Which, by the way, is like, <laughs> now that you know what Jim looks like, it like, is. it's the hardest. I, I would have been the worst physical education <laughs> teacher possible because you... And good phys ed teachers like make it phenomenal. And so, you know, hats off to the good phys ed teachers. I was preparing, I thought, I didn't realize to be a horrible one. Well, it requires the some of the strongest classroom management for sure. Because kids have such expectations of just walling out during phys ed. So you have to be a pretty strong personality to keep everything safe and orderly. And you have to also teach kids that like elite athletes don't run around screaming. You know, like elite athletes actually like run and exercise and stretch. And we've had some really good phys ed teachers, but they found out that I had taught at a state testing level before. So they were like, oh no, girlfriend, you're gonna go right into fourth grade, which at the time was the only state testing level in New York. And then once again, we sat through like two days of training, very little time to get your classroom ready. And we had no exposure to the curriculum. There, were, there was no 
explanation of like the behavioral system. There was no explanation of like what the lesson should look like or how to use the curriculum because every school had a curriculum. And a lot of times the boxes they would give you would be incomplete. And so I felt like I was winning it. And I feel bad for the kids because, you know, at one point in time, they actually purchased. The one time I felt prepared is when they decided to do test prep and they purchased curriculum from Kaplan. And that's the first time I learned how to teach because it was scripted. Oh, wow. And so this was a traditional public school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, New York City Public. And so eventually you take a job as a school leader at Uncommon Schools, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, co-host Doug Lamov is the managing director of the upstate New York True North network of Uncommon Schools, the schools in Rochester and Newburgh and Albany and so you move up to Rochester, New York. Shout out to Rochester. I might be there this weekend, actually. Rochester. You know, Buffalo Bills opening weekend. I got to go up and upstate New York. Oh, okay. I'm like, really? You're going to go visit the schools? Okay. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, I could. I could. Uh, you go up there and Uncommon Schools famously very thoughtful about things like teacher training. You are now a principal. So what was that summer onboarding like? Like how long was it? How did you allocate time? Well, I actually, like similar to you, I had a year to go and travel and because Doug was a BS fellow and I had a year to go and travel. And so what I actually did was I actually watched summer training at a Boston school, Boston Prep in High Park. And then I had a chance to see training at North Star in Newark, New Jersey to see what it looked like. And the biggest thing that I remember is just even the leader training that started far in advance. And I remember like moving to Rochester and Doug being like, hey, I need you to go to this leadership training. And I'm like, I just moved and I have to unpack my things. And he was like, no, like you, you got to make it. And when I got there, that actually was what opened my eyes the most because I was in a room with John King, Evan Ruddle, Julie Jackson. I felt like I was around superheroes and I felt like the least intelligent person in the room, which actually felt really good. And I realized how much I had to learn. And I remember I had to do like spar and debate with like Mike Mann. <laughs> yeah. And like, for listeners, these are like some leaders of schools and networks within the uncommon world. Like some of them were running regions of schools. Some of them were running actual schools. Like Mike Mann was the high school principal for uncommon. And and remind me, so how long is this leadership onboarding? That at the time was a very specific one, and it's much larger now, but then it was about three days. And I came out of that like so rejuvenated. Like I was like, I felt like I was in a crisis because I was like moving my apartment and it pulled me out of that. And it opened my eyes very wide to what I wanted to do. And our training started August 1st, which is, you know, coming from the background, because I was not someone who taught at Uncommon. I went straight from teaching in a traditional district school to leading. And August 1st, like most people, most teachers are on summer break then. And so we started August 1st and we started off back then with what we similarly do now, systems and routines, data, how to look at data, because we wanted, we knew that those were the two, what we consider the two super levers of academic achievement. You have to have a culture in which kids can thrive and feel safe, and you have to carve out the space for academic rigor. How do you do that? And then once the kids are working, how do you identify what they know and what they don't know so you can help build on what they know to enclose any type of achievement gaps, whatever you want to call them, gaps, period, 
on learning. And so those were the things that we focused on heavily in the beginning. Got it. And so you said you talk about early August, we're talking about New York. When is the first day of school? The first day of school was either back then, I want to say it was the last week of August. For us, it's the last week of August now. I know schools traditionally start after Labor Day. We start a little bit before. So the last week of August, we would start with staggered start dates. I still do staggered start dates. So K and one might come in and then two, three, and four, or five and eight will come in for three days. And then seventh and eighth grade. So when I say five and eight, I mean fifth grade and eighth grade. So the teacher training is roughly three weeks of yeah. teacher training. So you went from when you were a teacher, two days to <laughs> three days of leadership training plus three weeks of summer teacher training. Mm -hmm. And I think for the listeners, this may sound like a lot, but you know, I could talk about it from my perspective. We had, we did a month uh, when I was there. Uh, eventually we, I think we might have gone down to three as I was leaving. Once they knew I was gone, they're like, all right, we're going to make it shorter. <laughs> but, um, I, I hesitate to even ask what it is now, but three weeks to a month sounds right to me. And I think mm -hmm. let's start and make the case for that for the listeners. And and for listeners, this is this is about this conversation is about how to run training for teachers, but really this should be applicable to any profession, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it's not reasonable to think every profession is gonna have three weeks to one month of onboarding. There's also because you don't deal with school years, right? There isn't this right. built-in time where you could take a step back. But what we want to get out of this is is a this is a push for people to be intentional about training, doing a training camp for people come in, et cetera. So, so you talked about systems and routines. You talked about data. Is the day kind of mimicking the school day? So like when people come in, is it roughly the length of a school day or is it shorter? You know, it's the length of a school day. So for instance, we will start at like the first day, we may start at eight o'clock, but then very quickly we start at seven. We're going all the way to four o'clock. And the difference is now we recognize that we have to cover lesson plan internalization and we have to cover some content. So now we might even do data a little bit later on, but we are doing the systems and routine component, classroom management. How do you manage a class, discipline? How do you teach children the right way to do things? How do you establish a moral code that is consistent across all classrooms? How do you establish strong social and emotional learning from the minute children walk in the door to the minute they walk out of the door? And then how do you teach? And so that's a adjustment. We are doing data now a little bit later on in the year and we're teaching data, so it's still really important, but we're really focusing on how do you teach and do you have the content knowledge? And how do we increase that through the lessons and through lots of iterations of practice and more complex practice? Like, okay, you've mastered this, let's up the level of complexity for practice. So we use something that's really familiar and very common through Relay Graduate School of Education. They have a model called See It, Name It, Do It, we're going to show you what it looks like. We're going to have you name the parts. And now we're going to get up and practice just like an athlete would practice. Yeah. I mean, in, last week I talked to Doug about this in the, the sports context, about just like the importance of a vocabulary, right? Like mm -hmm. Having a, a term for key moves that we have, yes. which is obviously true of schools. And, you know, in this piece that I wrote for our blog, I shared our first year or is it either our first or second year training camp schedules. And so much of what we did was wrapped around this sort of see it, name it, do it, this taxonomy of instruction that Doug and other members of Uncommon put together. Each one of them is a discrete skill or move that teachers make. And so what we would do is we would, we would do an individual session on, okay, this is what cold calling looks like. 
show the video, explain the concept behind it, why it's important, and then practice with teachers doing it. And then we do that for all these different techniques. And then we'd build in time to do the equivalent of like a, a mock classroom where people are putting together all the different skills that they have and the students are acting, uh, teachers are acting as students. And we did hours and hours and hours yes. of that weekly during that. I imagine you guys did the same, right? Yes, and we still do. We still have blocked off multiple days. Like we continue to use the taxonomy that Doug and Uncommon created, Teach Like a Champion. We continue to spend and dedicate a significant amount of time for each technique because you want enough practice with each technique. And it could be like cold call or warm call as it's called now. They don't, people don't like being cold anymore. They're like, we're going to be a warm call. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Yeah, call it whatever you want. Just do it. <laughs> call it whatever you want. Just do it. Yeah. You know, break it down. That's more of a questioning technique, 100%. There, you know, we want 100% of our kids participating. Strong voice, not meaning a loud voice, but meaning I unapologetically am here to teach you. So I need to have your attention and all of the different techniques that you can do. Square up, stand still. All the different techniques that you need to practice just to make sure that you are gaining student attention. And then all the engagement techniques, like what are the things you can do to help keep kids engaged from the different ways to call on kids? Like there's a warm call, but then there's you know, peppering. And then there's, you know, give me a thumbs up, give me a thumbs down. There's polling the room. And so, and then giving people practice with that and practice with that, like you said, within an actual lesson plan. And I do think that I want to do more in terms of meshing the two. Like now you're going to practice the lesson and we're going to have a mock classroom and you're actually going to practice teaching while things are happening. So you can practice on engaging the students. You can practice on how to show work and how to increase the level of student dialogue around the work while you're also giving the kids a nonverbal to sit up. Yep. And I think this is so powerful. And I think you talk about what makes a teacher successful, right? It's you start with teaching the skill and having them practice it in isolation with each other. And then you kind of up the difficulty. Then you have them teach it and put it together with a bunch of other different skills that you have. So like maybe deliver like their first week's lesson, but the students are going to do things that require them to use different skills or the students, which are quote unquote students, but are really other teachers acting as students. And then you have the staggered start to the school year you talked about, which for us, and, I, and I'd be curious if you did this too, enables us to take rookie teachers, put them in the classroom with experienced teachers for either a couple days or a week or whatever, and get at-bats with actual students, but with almost the training wheels and the in-person feedback while they're doing that. And all of this takes a month. You know, you talk about the three weeks plus the week with the students from start to finish is a month. And I, I would do it, like, obviously, if it was practical, I would do it even longer. Is that roughly what you do, too? Did you have, like, the sort of team teaching model in the beginning? We do. So that fourth week is the induction, and it's only a half a day, and it's the staggered start date. So we've started to do third and fourth grade together, and then seven and eight, and that's for three days. And the fifth and sixth grade teachers would then be in the classroom with the seventh and eighth grade teachers, the K first and second grade teachers will be in the classrooms with the third and fourth grade teachers supporting. Then the kids go home for a half a day and then, you know, everyone has lunch, we come back together. What did we do well and what do we need to improve upon for tomorrow? And it gives us time to practice, like you said. It's like the training wheels or a balance bike where you get an opportunity to come in the classroom to try out what you just did to get 
feedback in the moment, and then to practice again for the second half of the day so that you're stronger than you were when you walked in the first day. And I can't imagine what my life would have been like as a teacher if I would have had that opportunity. And so I had to fight for that when I went to Chicago because it was unheard of, but I did. And we were able to get it because I was like, I, I couldn't even imagine a world where I didn't start the school year off that way. And so it was one of the first things that, not a battle, but um, <laughs> shout outs to Jean-Claude Broussard for approving <laughs> my staggered start dates. Yes. Oh, so you fought for that. I did. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's smart. I think also like the, the ending early is really important mm -hmm. for the first week of school because what we used to do, I imagine you did the same thing, was get in a room with a whiteboard and basically like write out, all right, what are all the different observations we have of the day? Things that like, and we'd break it down from systems that need to be clarified, systems that need to be fixed student issues that we've picked up on and then kind of breaking it down as a to-do list. So basically we'd all get in that room and be like, all right, like before we have the longer discussions we need to have, are there, is there anything we know we need to get done right now? And we like bop, 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 we've assigned it to everybody. And then there are certain systems that we either need to clarify or debate. Be like, oh, we're, you know, walking to the bus this way. Have you considered not walking to the bus that yes. way? We're hanging the bathroom passes over here <laughs> in the classroom. Have yes. we thought of that? And you just go through each one of these things and knock out all the details one at a time. It's almost like what the equivalent of, I imagine like Bill Belichick, if he's at the you know Patriots game and they're at the end of the game and I've seen it before his coordinators will hand him a clipboard of certain notes that they've taken. I would I imagine they're like, oh, here are all the things that we have noticed that we either want to keep doing stop doing or at least question that we're doing in the practice. But you can only do that with the half day because if you don't if you don't have the half day, you're going to wind up being there till 10 p.m. on the first week of school, which is not a good recipe. At the new school right now, right? I was so sad. I wish we had an additional week, but it also benefits parents because one of the things that we had to fix at the new campus, which is two schools, was dismissal. Like every parent knows that dismissal can take a long time, like, and if you're a parent and you got to get back to work or something or other, and then you're sitting there for an hour, our dismissal was abysmal. Our parents like let us know the next day they were like, okay, it was, it was a little bit better. Yeah. Dismissal is such a high stakes situation <laughs> because number one, the kids want to get the, the heck out of there. Uh, <laughs> two is the teachers and the students are at their highest point of fatigue from the school day. Three is that it often involves the most complicated, longest mm -hmm. movement, especially where, depending where you are. I was, you know, my first school was in a night school, Tennessee State University oh, campus wow. in downtown Nashville. We had to go through the students arriving for night school and get our kids out onto, the, you know, one of the busiest parts of Nashville. And then you're doing it in front of parents. But also if you have buses, you have to also send the buses off in a way that is safe and helpful to the kids, which is like a near impossible task on any day. So, yeah, and the kids are confused. You got to make sure the kids don't get on the wrong bus. You have all these systems checklists to be like, is all, are all the students on the right bus? Oh, where is so-and-so? Did they get picked up by a parent? Maybe the parent said they were going to go on the bus, but now they're picking them up. Are the siblings together? You know, yes. you have to have the walkers, the bussers, the siblings, the pickups, right? It's all in front of the parents and you can break down a parent's level of trust in that moment. In that moment, that's when the parents are like, this is a mess. So like, you can also build trust. You know, like we don't, Doug always taught me, like we don't think we have all the answers. We just acknowledge the problems quicker and faster and fix them. Well, if you don't have time carved out to do that, like you said, you would be there till like 10 o'clock at night. And so as a mom now, right? Like the first day of pickup for my son, I was sitting there for an hour. <laughs> it's just like, 
oh my God, like this is what we potentially put parents through when we don't like take the time to fix it. And they shout out to Summit, it got better um, pretty quickly. But I do think that arrival, those things are are huge. And like you said, like the hall passes or, you know, just little tiny things, just things that you have to communicate. Lunch, that's like a big deal. Breakfast setup is a big deal. At the beginning of the year, there are so many things that you need to talk about before you even get into how did the day go in the classroom. And so you do this three weeks and, and I imagine there's, in our case, it was built around the culture systems routines, the adult culture stuff. Like how do we handle things like professional gossip? How do we think about it? How do we build a shared sense of identity? What it means to work hard, communicate well, et cetera, the practice sessions. And then there's a community work, like really understanding the community, right? Going out there. So those are elements, and tell me if I'm missing something. I'm sure there's, oh, curriculum planning and all that, like building building and or becoming acquainted with the curriculum. I think we've taken some components out now, and it's not that we don't do them. We just do them a little bit later in the year, like early fall, because what we realized is that the curriculum component, for a teacher to actually be successful, especially with the systems and routines, that we have to teach teachers how to teach. Otherwise, they're going to overuse the systems and they're going to be giving deductions like deduction or like demerit or demerit or set up straight or da, 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 da. And then they overdo that because they don't know how to engage kids with like a good turn and talk or just to understand like the arc of a lesson. So now we actually do less during that first three weeks so that teachers can feel comfortable around the systems and routines and the content that they're teaching. So Instead of taking the first assessment and asking teachers to bag and tag it by standard, which is something that I think is really important and I actually love, we actually are doing that before our first day to day, you know, and we have we have built into the calendar entire days that are professional development. We end every Friday early for teacher development. But what we realize is that people were going to get into the habit of overusing like a behavioral system or systems and routines and the absence of the ability to teach a thoughtful lesson where kids are engaged and caught up in the joy of learning. So we've moved some of the community stuff to right before like a back to school night. We've, instead of giving people a ton of things during that first three weeks, we've really narrowed it down to the curriculum piece and the systems and routines. And then we build in the other things that we used to jam pack during the first three weeks or month and delicately placing them strategically at different times of the year, because we just recognize that if teachers aren't teaching, kids aren't learning, and if they don't feel confident in front of the classroom, kids pick up on it really quickly. And we're kind of like tallying this up. So the teachers are, you know, now teaching fully. Have you built in training time throughout the week? Like, you know, I think it's common for some schools to break on Friday earlier or Wednesday earlier and have teachers come together for training and planning. Do you do that? We do. We end early every Friday and teachers come together for planning. And then we take Every teacher has a certain amount of prep periods, you know, depending on what grade level that they're teaching. And then they will meet and do observation feedback or lesson dress rehearsals or behavior dress rehearsals during the week on any given day as well. And there'll also be data meetings that are planned during the week. Some stuff is happening on that Friday PD. Some things are happening during the longer days 
where it's the kids are at home and it's a whole day, but then there are the individual or grade level teams. So we've even started to master our schedule. So every, and the elementary grade levels have the same prep period. So that way they can come together as a grade level. And at the middle school level, we're still working on the schedules. Talent has been a challenge post COVID, but we want reading teachers to be able to meet together. We want people to be able to look at data and we want senior teachers to be able to help develop more junior teachers. So there's more peer to peer coaching. We're still, as I said, the talent piece has been very difficult when you have gaps and you have holes to fill in terms of people being, being fully staffed, but that's something that we try to work on in the schedule so that it's a weekly thing and not just a Friday PD thing. Yeah. So you have those built-in parts of the week, then you have full days throughout the calendar and you're kind of continually coming back to it. So there's just a lot of training time, but I'll, you know, I think a lot of teachers say they need more and you compare it to what the average teacher is getting. You know, one thing I wrote in, in the piece I wrote was I was looking at the New York calendar. I think it was two or three days total in the beginning and then just a couple of days sprinkled throughout the year, you know, definitely fewer than 10 total is what I saw. And, and you talk to the teachers about what they're doing during those days and it's like not very thoughtful. You know, it's often like get here, sign some paperwork, get all the trainings that our lawyers tell us we have to give you and then set up your classroom. Like that's kind of what it looks like over the summer. And then during the year, it's kind of peppered with the same stuff. Like some mandate comes on high from the DOE that all the teachers need to hear X, Y, and Z. And then it happens. And there's just very little in the hands of teachers and educators to respond to what they're seeing and build a shared culture within their schools. If you were designing a system of the size of a New York or the Cincinnati public schools, is there anything you'd do differently or would you roughly keep it the kind of same mixture? I think that... A lot would be dependent on the curriculum. And I don't know if it's Cincinnati Public or New York Public, if like every elementary school is on the same curriculum and if every middle school or high school is on the same curriculum. At the K to eight level, I absolutely would. And, and high school as well. I mean, high school systems and routines are a little bit different, but I think giving kids what to do directions are important regardless of what age you are. A college teacher needs to be able to very explicitly state what to do and explain the agenda and make it very clear for kids how to be successful. So I think that that is really important because systems and routines and discipline is just teaching kids the right way to do things. And I think that every single district should focus on making sure kids know that at the beginning of the year. Otherwise, how do you hold kids accountable if you don't explain? And then I think that teachers having an opportunity to understand the curriculum and practice teaching the curriculum within those systems and routines can only help make stronger teachers. And I would definitely focus on that. There would definitely be a data component. I don't know that I would pack it all in to the summer because it's a lot. What we found is that people don't retain stuff. And that's why we, we switch things up. But throughout the year, there would definitely be data days. Like I, if I were in Cincinnati public right now or New York city public, I would want some common interim exams. I would want some common weekly exams. I would want a common curriculum because I would want to be able to dipstick engage student mastery on objectives that we know are imperative for the future. You know, like this is not just so you could take a test. This is so you can get the career of your dreams and you have to have some basic skills to be able to do so. And so if I were the CEO of a larger district, I would want a common curriculum and I would want teachers practicing on it. I would want them understanding how to use that data to drive instruction. And so I think that systems and routines, lesson internalization and data, I think those would be the three things. And then there's also the community work. There's also, especially, I mean, 
period. But especially, I think most educators will tell you post-COVID, social-emotional learning is really important. It has to be good. It can't be like flaky stuff that doesn't do anything, you know? And it can't take the place of academic achievement. But what is it going to be? How are we going to do it? How are we establishing a moral code and understanding throughout our school so everybody here understands these are our values that we uphold? I think more now, more than ever in America, I can't speak to other countries because <laughs> I don't live there, but I think that's important. I think that we have to establish with all of the bullying, with the social media, we have to establish like empathy. We have to establish integrity and we have to establish like this is how you treat people. It goes back to like the golden rule, like treat people the way that you want to be treated. And we have to talk about it. And, and we can't talk about it to the point where we don't learn. You know, it has to be webbed in. But I think that those are the components that I will be looking at. And so, you know, shifting gears, you know, a lot of our listeners are outside of K-12 they may be running an insurance company or they may be, you know, running a, a nonprofit that cures hunger or they might work at a hospital. And so I want to just step back and generalize a little bit about like what it means to train staff, onboard staff and, and do training when you might not be on a school calendar. And so, you know, a couple of things I think about is like, can you bunch your hiring together is a question you need to ask yourself. Like, can you bunch your hiring together so that you don't have people just starting in staggered terms, but that they're kind of all starting quarterly, everybody starts on the same day, et cetera. Now, hospitals sometimes do this, especially when it comes to residents, for example, and residency is kind of a built-in version of this, right? But you know, one question you can ask yourself is, especially if you're a big company, can you afford to actually build in a training camp that groups people together? Two is, well, if you can't, then can you have people start, but then pull them back from the work that they're doing in order to do the training camp. And I think on that front, I'd be very curious your opinion on this. I think it's important for you, if you're listening, if you're the, if you're the decision maker or if you have the ear of the decision maker to really understand the impact that really strong onboarding and training does for the trajectory of a staff member. Yes. And that like, you're going to hear from people be like, I need the widget maker at the factory yesterday and I can't afford to pull them off the line, et cetera. But I do think it's really important to think through like, all right, well, if we really took time to teach people the way this company operates, its culture, its identity, make them really feel and actually be supported and competent in the work that they do, that could reverberate down the line. Here's what I would, how I think I would look at it if I were running a, like a different type of organization or even a company. There's something to be said about front loading. There's something to be said about giving people an opportunity and having people within your team that are ready to front load. And so like maybe when someone's coming in, they're observing, or maybe when someone's coming in, like staff culture is staff culture. I don't care where you are. Like you mentioned, like, like gossiping on staff, like all of those things, you, there's like, what are the key things in your spoke wheel? Like if there's a spoke wheel and there are five spokes on your spoke wheel, what are the key levers that make your company move toward outcomes? And I'm willing to say that like a strong staff culture doesn't have to be in your spoke wheel, but a strong staff culture is going to be important. So how are you going to teach them about the staff culture? And then maybe quarterly, you have someone that is ready to go where you take all the new people who were hired each quarter and you do, because in education, we've been forced to do that. So now we have dates like each month, even where if someone new was hired, we're like, even if a student transfers in, now we have a time period for even students to learn what they missed during induction. And because what we found is that if you don't take that time, then they're going to not learn or learn incorrectly. 
and it's going to impact outcomes. So it's actually worth it to have them start a week later. You know, it's an empty position one week later, have them start one week later and then have four times during the year where you've already created whatever the key components are to your achievement. You've created the training that they need for those positions and you're bringing those people together so that they can have an opportunity. And the key is to practice, to see it, to name it and to do it. If you have to pull a computer out, you're teaching them something and then they have to bring out the computer and they have to, whatever it is, if it's widget making, they get a chance to see how widgets made, name how a widget's made, practice making a widget. Whatever it is, those key dates at multiple times of the year and the training's already created. You've created multiple tiers of leadership because you're training the new people when they come in. Yeah, I actually think what you're saying around the onboarding of students is is very applicable to people who are are dealing with a ongoing schedule and, you know, demanding environment for their company is a good example because like how we treat the students who come in late in the year is very similar to like what a lot of companies are going to do, which is like the goal is as quickly as possible, recreate the experience of people who are on the sort of like traditional track, right? Which is like, if I'm thinking about it, it's like, all right, whenever possible, bunch people together, do all the training all at once. When you can't do it, have an ad hoc system that involves everybody else. Like basically what you got to do is pull people from your team and usually they're leaders or leaders in training to be like, all right, we need to recreate the orientation for so-and-so. And it needs to be something really thoughtful and can't be treated as like a, you know, half-assed, like, let's just, you know, check the boxes exercise. And that's really hard to pull off mid-year. You know, you have to have a strong culture around, all right, like we're really invested in making sure that, you know, Sally gets, you know, something comparable to what everybody else got in their training. I think that if not, you're going to do the training when they mess up. So teach them how to do it the right way before they start. Yeah. Now, as you think about like going around the country, you know, we've talked about Uncommon, we've talked about what you do. Are there any schools that you've visited or talked to where you're like, wow, I learned something really important from some of my colleagues out there, the way that they do their training? Yes, I have definitely learned a ton from Relay. And explain what Relay is for people who don't know what that is. It's a graduate school of education that was created by Uncommon Schools. I want to say maybe people from KIPP where they are training leaders and they're training teachers. And I've learned a lot about the way they deliver professional development. I've learned a lot around the way North Star. So all the Uncommon Schools, I think that North Star, Paul Bambrick really put a lot of emphasis in how to train leaders and it shows. I did leverage leadership that was led by him and that's a part of Relay as well. And it's a group of leaders that were identified that have had significant growth in their student achievement data. And it's they're literally PDs on how to teach, it's train the trainer. And so I think those have been some of the most beneficial trainings, but just seeing the level of rigor and the multiple iterations of practice I did probably two months when I opened the elementary school for Upstate with Julie Jackson at North Star. And the way that she opened an elementary school, it was something different than I'd ever seen before. And the level of practice was what made the difference in every classroom hitting like the same things, the continuity. And I think continuity is, it doesn't make a difference what business you're in. What you want is continuity of greatness. You want to take the best people and you want to replicate that practice. 
And I felt like when it came to teachers, they were the best at it. Yeah, well, shout out to them. I had a chance to see North Star also when I was in my sort of year in training. Really awesome stuff. Well, okay, you're now in the middle of the school year or you're started the school year. Is there anything that COVID has changed now that you're in, you know, a couple of years into the sort of post-pandemic or pandemic world, whatever we want to call it? Is there anything about the COVID world that changed the way either temporarily or permanently how you train your teachers? Well, we definitely do more things over Zoom. So we're able to maximize the strongest leaders. Now, we will have another leader in the room for practice. So that way people are still getting good feedback on practice. So if we can't come together, that's one way. Ultimately, though, I think that we've gone back to basics on a lot of things. Like we've definitely felt like training had to be in person. So there are like meetings, you know, where we're talking about things. We do a lot of those things over Zoom, but we've gotten back to basics on like, we actually need to build a relationship with you and we need to do it in person. We are very back to basics. Like we need you to come into the office and work, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, and build camaraderie and build that staff culture. I think with COVID, I think the biggest changes are the use of technology with kids. Some of the use of technology, like there's something called SmartPass that we're getting ready to look at, which will allow us to just know like how many kids are in and out of bathrooms at a time, you know, especially in an era where like when I was growing up, Kids who wanted to smoke weed at school actually had to light something. Kids now are popping gummies in bathrooms. So like we actually need to know who's in the bathroom and when they're in the bathroom because like that's the reality of the world that we're living in. And I think technology really advanced during COVID in terms of student facing things. And I would say when it comes to training teachers, we're very much, we've gotten back to basics. So we will use Zoom when we have to, but we prefer to be face-to-face. Well, Stacy, I think it's a good note to end on. Good luck with this new school year. How many kids, how many schools are you working on now? Uh, a little over 2,000 kids, nine schools, six, eight campuses. My goodness. Well, bless you and everybody else who does the work. Thank you. And thanks for, for staying with it. I mean, there's no more important work out there. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Sweat the Technique is a production of the Branch Media Podcast Network. You could follow all of the Branch's podcasts at, at the Branch Media on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and you could check out our website at thebranchmedia.org. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe to the show so that you can join us every Wednesday for more Sweat the Technique.